listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Today we have an inaugural news segment for the podcast. This is a really exciting one. We have lots of creative Lutheran ladies in both in our Facebook group and just in, I guess, life in general. We all know lots of creative women. So we're starting a new segment called Conversations with Creatives, where we get to chat with a fellow Lutheran lady who is also a creative maker who does something, creates something, and oh, I don't know, we get lots of behind-the-scenes information and kind of the uh, the what makes these people tick. So it's going to be awesome. And I'm really excited for the first person that we get to have on this segment. She's one of my favorite musicians, by the way. Erin Bodie is joining us today, a musician, recording artist, creative, and a wonderful Lutheran lady. Thanks so much for joining us in the Ladies' Lounge, Erin. Oh, thank you for having me. That was a nice introduction. <laughs> so tell us about you, Erin. Who is Erin Bodie? Mm, wow. Start with the big question. I know. <laughs> you know, most Get it people out of the way. know the answer to this question. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, I can just give you a little bit of my background. I I grew up in Minnesota, so I'm I lived there until I was well, all in all, till I was about 20. First time I I moved away was um, when I was 14. I, I moved to St. Louis with my family. My father's a Lutheran pastor. And we came to St. Louis and I was there to finish high school. So I had been to one year of high school in Minnesota and then finished in St. Louis. But then I went back to the University of Minnesota. So I went to college there for two years. And then I decided to transfer. The University of Minnesota is a giant school. It just has like mm-hmm. like 50,000 undergraduate students. So I was uh, kind of wanting a little more one-on-one experience for college. And so I went back to St. Louis because I knew about Webster University. So I ended up there and I have been there ever since. So I have kind of two homes. But growing up in Minnesota as a pastor's kid, I'm guessing some mm-hmm. of you must be pastor's daughters. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I assume the, the statistics of Lutherans say one hundred percent of women named Aaron currently on this podcast are pastors' daughters. <laughs> That's a true statement. See, those are good odds. Yeah, science. <laughs> um, so, but I had a really nice upbringing. Um, we uh, we lived in the parsonage of of our church, Redeemer Lutheran Church in Wyzetta, Minnesota, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. And uh, growing up there was really great. We had a wonderful congregation. The people were really incredible and like family. I mean, I still see those people when I go back to Minnesota, the people from my dad's first congregation. They were are really like family. And, and a, kind of a fun thing about growing up there was our house was actually attached to the church via an underground tunnel. <gasps> This is very Minnesota because, you know, (laughs) there's tunnels everywhere in Minnesota. I don't know if people know this, but like most of the West Bank campus of the University of Minnesota is underground. Same with the East Bank. I mean, you can you can go anywhere on campus underground. So y'all are basically prairie dogs. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yes, we could we would survive many, many like famines and and turbulent weather. We've got it all covered up there. So, <laughs> but it was great because as a kid, and we, we also had a school. I went to Redeemer Lutheran School, which was part of the church. So I could go to school every day. Didn't have to go outside. Um, whenever relatives or friends would come over, we had access to play 
epic games of hide and seek at church <gasps> in the sanctuary if necessary. Um, you know, just, it was amazing. And it was, it was a very nice childhood. So I'm happy about it. I've jumped around a lot here. And I don't know if this is telling you anything about me. <laughs> I, I like growing up in Minnesota, but, but I, I was always involved in music. Obviously, I, I started singing when I was very young, probably. My mom says she remembers me. I would go over to church by myself when I was like three. And I figured out how to turn the microphones on in the auditorium. And she said she found me there one day. I think I was three. And oh I was singing, take me out to the ball game oh. of the auditorium. <laughs> Apparently, that, that was the only song I knew. Which <laughs> 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 isn't true, but I don't know why. I, li- I can't imagine that I liked that song very much, but it, it was the one I chose. Sing what you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I remember at five, I, I really wanted to be in the church choir. And my dad came home from church one day and I remember what I was wearing because this was such a monumental moment in my life. I was sitting on the couch and I had red tights and a plaid skirt and a, a navy blue turtleneck on. Oh. And my dad said, hey, Aaron, do you want to be in the cherub choir? And I was, <gasps> it was just like my whole world changed in that moment. <laughs> and yeah, that was it. That was the beginning. <laughs> oh. That's your origin story. Yes, those are my yes. origins. It only took me five five minutes and fifty seven seconds to tell you that. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a follow up question, and okay. that is: there's a big gap between cherub choir and jazz singer. When you <laughs> think of like Lutheran ladies singing, yeah, jazz is not the first genre that that comes to mind. How did you end up there? I mean, I think it's really awesome. Please stay there. But it it seems like a story that needs telling. Well, I don't know that it's as as exciting as it might sound. uh, But (laughs) my my mom had a, when I was growing up, she has had a wonderful record collection and she had a very, she has very eclectic taste in music mm-hmm. and we listened to lots and lots of different kinds of music, mostly classical music, but she, you know, grew up, she, she was, at, she went to the university of Minnesota and she was an usher at uh, the Northrop auditorium there on campus. Mm-hmm. And so she got to see all these incredible concerts that would come through. And this was in the like early sixties. And so there was a lot of folk music happening at that time. So she had a great folk collection, a great classical collection. But she also, you know, we watched a lot of musicals when I was growing up. And so many songs from musicals are jazz standards. I mean, they became jazz standards. So it wasn't really till like we didn't listen to a lot of jazz at home. But when I was in high school, I did so many musicals. I was obsessed with performing and I thought I wanted to be an actress. But then as I got into college and I was considering what to major in, I just found the people to be too high energy. Actors. <laughs> yep. It's too much. Yep. Yeah. I mean, more power to them, but I can't keep up. So I, and being Lutheran, it's just this, I don't know. There's just something in me that needs to be reserved. So, <laughs> so I, I ended up, um, because of having, you know, such an appreciation for classical music. I, I studied classical music in college. I, I started to get my vocal performance degree. But I had this love for musical theater and the songs, mostly just the songs. I loved singing this music that's so, these songs that that, that Cole Porter and the Gershwins and, and yes. Jerome Kern and Irving Berlin wrote. Mm-hmm. There's such perfect encapsulated moments of like love and 
and, you know, storytelling. There's just so much contained in these short pieces and you can just make them yours. That's what I, I think, you know, is so enduring about these classic uh, popular songs from the you know 20s to the 50s or whatever. Uh, the Great American Songbook is that they they really are. You can mold these songs into what you want them to be, and they can fit anyone's voice and style. And I so I loved studying classical music. I really enjoyed it, and I'm so glad that I did. But about my junior year of college, once I had transferred to to Webster in St. Louis, I was sort of getting a little fatigued about not being able to just be me. You know, when you're cl mm -hmm. studying classical music, you have a voice type, mm -hmm. which means you sing certain roles if you're going to do opera or if you're doing like oratorio, you can only do what's in your voice type, soprano or alto or mezzo or whatever. You know, you have to yep. adhere to the rules, which is great. And it, it, I understand why. But I, I had this such a need to express myself, my personal inner feelings. And so I needed an outlet for that. And so when I, I was at Webster, they weren't so strict about classical students kind of entering into the, the other genres that were being taught at the school. So I had a friend who was another opera student, but she had joined the vocal jazz ensemble. And she suggested to me, why don't you join? It's really fun. And, you know, we get to do all, all, all those nice songs. So I, I did. And I started taking private vocal jazz lessons from the the vocal jazz teacher there at the time. Her name's Christine Hitt. And she's from Two Harbors, Minnesota, which is on Lake Superior. And it's a town that we would drive through every time we visit our cabin. We have a cabin on Lake Superior. And so I immediately was drawn to her because she was a fellow Minnesotan moving to St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> her husband was actually at Scott Air Force Base. He, he was the, the band director at Scott Air Force Base. And oh, wow. yeah, so she wasn't there for very long. She was just there for a couple of years. But studying from her was just a, such a, a wonderful experience. And, and it was sort of the answer to what I was kind of struggling with, which was wanting to express myself a little more personally. She taught me things that I'm most, that no other teacher of any kind ever taught me such practical information. Not only did she teach me, you know, the fundamentals of jazz and, and learning how to improvise a little bit and, and just learning all the repertoire, but she focused a lot of our time on the business side of being a musician, which she didn't have to do, but I think she just knew that I was kind of serious about it. And she would teach me how to deal with venue owners and managers and always have your charts ready to go for your band members, how to deal with a band, how to lead one, just, you know, like how to work and make money as a musician. And that was something that really, which wasn't taught much in music school. And there was one day, it was a Saturday, and she had a standing gig. She plays piano and sings. And she had a standing gig at the Missouri Athletic Club in downtown St. Louis. Mm -hmm. She fancy. called me. Yeah, she's very, very <laughs> fancy. And she called me and she said, I have this gig tonight, but this time I'm going to just play piano. I want you to come and sing. And I was like, what? <laughs> wow. But I was like, yes. So I, you know, I took all the songs that she and I had been working on in lessons and I had music and I brought them with me. And I, I remember it was on that gig, the first gig I ever did, that she was there with me, that I like had to learn how to follow the tune and come back in when I'm supposed to come back in because none of this is written out. Jazz is like so freeform, you know, you, you have to, you have to listen and just 
do what you're going to do. And yeah, I just remember that so clearly how, what a gift that was that she gave to me to, to put me in that situation, you know, hoping I'd succeed. And I did. And, and it was amazing is that I ended up, she left, you know, St. Louis because her husband moved and she gave that gig to me. So I played there for like three or four years, every Saturday, Friday and Saturday night. So it was amazing. Yeah. That so that's kind of, I think sort of how I ended up being a jazz singer. You caught me on a very chatty day. Uh, that's <laughs> good. good. <laughs> I guess so, but Erin, <laughs> I'm curious. I feel like a lot of makers, whatever they're doing is often, not always, but often it's a fairly solitary pursuit. Like if you're sewing or painting, those, those sort of things, you you do it yourself. And maybe you get some feedback periodically from, from other people, but for the most part, you are the sole person doing it. But mm-hmm. in your case, you aren't the you know, you aren't doing yeah. this only on your own. You're definitely doing it with other people. Yeah. So I'm curious with the new venture that I know you're excited about, mm-hmm. um, that also seems fairly collaborative. Can yeah. you talk about how how your creativity and way that you're expressing that, how that interacts with helping other people express. Yeah. I don't know. From what from the little I understand about the new thing that you're working on, the new project, mm-hmm. uh, your song. Yeah. It's really is going to be a very collaborative thing where it's not just yes. you doing it for them. You're working with the other people. So maybe talk a bit about this other venture that you're getting started with. And yeah. How does that work with creativity with other people? Boy, mm-hmm. that is a really long way to get at what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what eventually. I actually, <laughs> I actually think about this quite a bit and how you know different people, di- different artists, different different type of types of creative people really have very different, varying you know creative processes. And I, I have. You know, I like I. We were talking before we started recording. I'm one of four children, and I'm the youngest. And I think, you know, if if you know other youngest kids, or you are one, or I'm one. Yeah, <laughs> I have. Yeah. One. And I don't know about you, Sarah. Yeah, I don't know about you, Sarah, but I find that I'm. I think I I kind of really want to be part of a group. I, I, I kind of thrive in a collaborative setting. Not everybody's like that. A lot of people who are, you know, it's like my brother, for example, is he does things on his own and he's so self-sufficient and so responsible and you don't need, he doesn't need anybody to help him with anything. And I, I can, I'm pretty self-sufficient. I, you know, I like to take things on and, and take on challenges, but at the same time, I just feel so much more successful or or like I'm I'm really getting every possibility every opportunity happens when it, when I do something in a group and I love it I I crave it and so I think for me forming a band when I first started as a musician was just such a fun and natural process for me I wouldn't have enjoyed ever doing music on my own I don't write on my own. I, I really like to collaborate. I mean, I have written songs by myself, but it's not the same feeling for me. And so having a band, you know, was a was a, obviously a very collaborative process and everybody has their own personality and so they contribute what they do. And that's, that's something that you just learn from being with each other. Who who is Who contributes which part of this process? And, 
you know, when you find a nice chemistry with people, it's, it's just a really satisfying feeling. So I've had a band for like 17 years or something, 20 years. And, you know, once this whole (laughs) pandemic started and I wasn't able to really perform with a band anymore, I had already started a project that just sort of made them like incredible sense once we couldn't perform live anymore. Probably like two or three years ago now on Valentine's Day, I was playing a gig at Jazz at the Bistro in St. Louis and uh, a guy came up to me, somebody who'd been listening to our music for a long time. And he said, my wife and I are about to celebrate our 10th anniversary and our favorite song is How High the Moon. And he said, would you ever consider arranging a a special version just for us and recording it so I can give it to her as a gift. And I was like, that is such a brilliant idea. Like (laughs) the entire scope of the, of the potential of this. I was Uh like, yes, of course I'll do that. And so my husband, Sid arranged this beautiful version of, of the song. And we actually got the third associate principal violinist from the St. Louis symphony. She's a friend of mine, Celeste Boyer. Um, She played violin on it. And we had the wonderful guitarist who played on my last album. He recorded his parts from New York and it turned out so great. And I, I just was so proud of this. And, and just while we were doing it, I was thinking, okay, I got to tell people about this. I got to get more people to, to ask us to do this. So I, um, I started talking about it on our gigs and we would have people regularly come up to me and just say, yeah, I, I, this is my favorite song, or this was our song that we first danced to at our wedding. Could you record it? Mm-hmm. So we started doing that. And then one guy, maybe a year after that, came up after a gig we did at Cyrano's in Webster. And he said, I have been writing poems for my wife for years. And I have one in particular that I've, I've always dreamed would be a love song for her. He's like, but I, I'm struggling with the music part of it. I'm not particularly musical. And I know that you do this. Will you take my poem and turn it into a love song? And I said, of course I will. <laughs> so so the, the last al- album that I made was 2016. I made it in Nashville. And I worked with some really incredible musicians that I, had, that I was working with for the first time. This singer friend of mine who I absolutely love named Suzanne Cox. She's part of the Cox family, which is a gospel bluegrass group um, from Louisiana. I had met her online, which is a really long story. It's a very good one, but I'm not going to tell it to you right now so I can stay on track. Um, she, She was the person who encouraged me to do this album this way. She wanted to sing harmony with me, which was a total gift. And so she introduced me. I was looking for a producer. She introduced me to Victor Krause, who, if you guys know, Alison Krause, um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Alison's brother. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And um, he also is Lyle Lovett's full-time bass player. He's been playing with Lyle Lovett, wow. for, for uh, who's a good Missouri Synod Lutheran. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> and uh, so he's been playing with him for 25 years. And um, wow. so she introduced me to him and... Uh, she just sent some of his, my music to him and asked if he might be interested in this. And, and we had a phone conversation and then I went and visited him at his house in Nashville to, you know, kind of flesh out the project. And we've been working together ever since. And we, after we made the album, which was all covers, we decided to start writing together. And so we started that and 
I was about to go to Nashville to work with him when this guy, Bob, asked me to take his poem and put it into a love song. And so I brought this poem with me to my session with Victor. And I had a melody in mind. And it was it covered the whole form of the poem. So I sang him the melody, <laughs> Victor. And within about 45 minutes, we had the whole song ready to go. Oh, wow. And it was just one of the most fun things I'd ever done was creating something specifically for somebody, you know, writing a song and, and arranging it and recording it and then being able to give that to him so he could give it to his wife. It was just, it just changed how I see music and the purpose that I think it serves, which is to make people happy and to communicate you know, deep emotion and, and to connect with people, you know, you make a connection when you're telling these stories or when you're expressing your feelings. And we get to listen to that song you did for Bob and his wife, Cheryl. The moon is ours tonight. There's no a scene of wonder and delight all oh, the moon is ours tonight all oh, the moon is ours tonight big and fully round rising from the ground helping us Tender, sweet and strong 
So that was just kind of the beginning. And since then, we've done uh, dozens of projects for people for all different occasions, for anniversaries, for weddings, for uh, we've done several lullabies. He and I have gotten real serious about it. We've started a business. We we have a website, uh, yoursongforalways.com. So we've had we've had the most interesting projects. Something that I'm working on this weekend, I have to have it ready for next week, is the distributor that I work with in Japan who licenses my albums and releases them to the Japanese market. He, he takes the uh, liner notes and he has them all translated into Japanese. And so they have uh, versions of my albums. He wants to do an album of these songs that we've been recording oh. for people. Wow. So, so we're going to have a Japanese release of of a of like volume one of <laughs> your song projects. Oh, that's <laughs> so, awesome! Yeah, so I'm really excited about about being able to do that. And like like I was saying, it is such a special experience. Every project is different. Every story is different. And what I think I love the most about it is I've made so many albums of songs that I've written or have been uh, expressions of my feelings. And to be able to take the focus off of myself and just think about what would make someone else happy with music, because I can I can do that and they have the inspiration and I can put together something for them. It's just such a gift. It's it's everybody feels great <laughs> doing it. So, yes. so you had talked about thinking starting to think about this project what in 2016 you had said or maybe 17 maybe, i think it maybe it was 2017 yeah. so you had mentioned the pandemic a little bit mm -hmm. and i know that that event has either put a lot of projects to bed yeah. uh -huh. permanently <laughs> or it has it has launched some successfully whether it's a, an album or a restaurant or just mm -hmm. some sort of concept with your song for always. Was it more of a hindrance? Do you, do you think the pandemic was more of a hindrance or do you think that it's something that actually mm -hmm. helped launch this concept that you had developed in 2017 into what it is today and what it's going to become? I think the, the advantages I think are far far outweigh the disadvantages. What was really miraculous, <laughs> I mean, I know it was a complete, you know, gift from God, was just, I think it was February and March of last year. I I had never had, before that, I had never had more than like two projects in my roster at a time. But in February of last year, the end of the month, I had seven jobs wow. to do. And they were all due like by the end of the summer or fall. So <laughs> they, and they all paid in advance. So I had all this money and, and jobs to do. <laughs> and so it like, it was like everything shut down. I lost my job. Basically I lost my livelihood. And my husband is also a musician and we lost every potential way to make money, but I had all these projects to do. And it's what sustained me through the the most difficult part of the pandemic. Wow! Um, I know, and, and I'm, I'm unfortunately, music musicians still can't play live, really. But mm -hmm. but it was like a launching of I have to do this work, and I'm I've been paid for it, and I I can't I have nothing to complain about. I just I have you know I, here I am with a job, and the challenge of it was that I was in you know normally I would come to Nashville and and record these things at Victor Studio. 
But since I couldn't do that, I had to figure out how to do it at home, my, my part of it. So I borrowed a very nice microphone from an engineer in St. Louis that I know. He taught me how to use it because I had no clue. And this was probably like a two week learning curve of me figuring out how to record vocals that I would, I'm willing to accept because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's so yeah. many things that can go wrong in recording yourself on your laptop, yep. basically. Yep. You know? Yeah. I mean, you it, know how that goes. Yes. I mean, Aaron, you were just <laughs> dealing with this. It's like, and it could be anything. There's so many elements that can go wrong and I have no background in it. I have no frame of reference for the software or the interface that I'm using or anything. So I learned how to do it with the help of that engineer. And then Victor would talk me through things. And I recorded my vocals for most of those projects at home. And he would send me a track and I would do the rest at home and just send it to him and he would then mix it and edit it and everything. So yeah, it was incredible to be able to to do that from home and since then, though, I've, I've actually moved to Nashville with my husband, <laughs> and I work on these projects all the time now, and I've been fortunate enough to, you know, we've, we've had some nice media coverage, and uh, we get more submissions for projects, you know, on a, on a more regular basis, so it's really wonderful. I'm really grateful. <laughs> Yeah. So I I think that I maybe answered your question, which was (laughs) if it was a a bad thing or a good thing, the pandemic. And for me, you know, it was it was there were challenges involved, but I think it came along at the absolute perfect time. And it's something that doesn't have to be impacted by the pandemic. And we don't I don't I work with one person. I don't work with groups of people and I don't have to appear live anywhere. And and also just. I think this gives people an opportunity to experience music personalized to them when they can't go out and hear a concert. So that's been kind of fun to be able to, to offer that to people also. So that's really awesome. It, yeah. it, it has been really great. We've heard a lot of stories of, of silver linings of the mm-hmm. pandemic of, of things across the board uh, with so many people that we've been able to talk to that things have just happened in the last year that, that we could have done before, but we were never forced to have to think exactly. outside of our boxes. And now that we have been forced outside of those boxes, there's there's this whole other world of creativity now mm-hmm. that we're all kind of diving into together because yeah. because there's there's all these possibilities of things, and we just kind of had to be pushed off of the ledge a little bit to, to yeah. find them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I I mean I I don't know about you guys, but I I feel like. You know, anytime God presents us with some major challenge, like all of you as a planet, you're all going <laughs> to go through this at the same time, you know, <laughs> and, you know, you kind of, you kind of default to, to thinking, oh, this is something we have to get through and we got to work out all the problems with it. And there's so much to be unhappy about and dissatisfied about. And of course, I I was just like everyone else in feeling more isolated and lonely and uh, frustrated that I couldn't do the things I normally do. But I feel like God just sort of gave me this gift, an option, a possibility for something to do and and to, and to be helping people or, you know, doing something that is nice for people and that makes a difference. And, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful. And I, I think that's very like God <laughs> to, to put, 
a barrier or, you know, kind of there's, there's some, a challenge. And then he makes something amazing on the other end that you never would have expected. You never would have guessed it. He does it all the time, surprising us with things. You know, we have all these plans that we make in our head. I, you know, I, I see myself here in five years, or I'm going to do this, or this, I'm, I'm determined that this is going to be what I will do and whatever, you know, and so often it doesn't turn out that way, but rather instead much, much better. And yep. I just, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm always humbled by that. So grateful and amazed. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, it's, I mean, it's obvious just talking to you that you are a woman of deep faith and we value and appreciate that <laughs> so much in you. You mentioned earlier in the, in the conversation that, that your uh, Lutheran temperament sort of steered you away from musical theater um, and into into a, a different path. And I'm wondering, how has your Lutheran identity and your faith mm-hmm. impacted the decisions you have made as a creative professional? Well, I don't know that I've ever thought of it like that. So I, I hope that I can articulate this. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, you're not singing like R-rated songs, for yeah. example. But <laughs> yeah, I don't tend to do that. You know, um, <laughs> I I think as much as I love performing, I really do, and I I really love talking to people and connecting and communicating. That's sort of the the part of performing that is my most is the part I most long for is that connection with people. And that's what I do it for. You know, I think everyone has a different motivation for why they create things and why they want to be maybe in the spotlight if you're a performer. And mine really is that connection. I just, I really crave it and I love it. And I'm not a, I'm not really an extroverted person though. I'm, I'm pretty much an introvert. I, I love doing it, but then I also need that kind of inward time <laughs> to contemplate <laughs> things and recover from the whatever. Yep. But I think that I've always sort of attributed some of my reserved nature not as definitely because I'm Lutheran, but also because I'm <laughs> German and Norwegian. Oh boy. <laughs> and from Minnesota. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, we're just not very I don't know. I both my parents are quite relaxed, calm, but reserved people. So I sort of feel like I, I, it's a perfect storm, really. You know, I've got all these things (laughs) fighting me, you know? (laughs) So, but I, I think the way that it's probably impacted me is I, I, I've never craved like fame out of being a performer. I, I much would rather just kind of like have those experiences of, of connection and, and sharing in something, you know, profound and, and emotional and deep. So I, I think that, you could attribute some of that to uh, being Lutheran. I mean, I think the what I like about being Lutheran is how much of our intellect is involved and how, mm-hmm. how much we are educated about what we believe and that it, it isn't all feeling. You know, one of my mom's good friends is named Jan Bolt. She lives in Michigan and uh, mm-hmm. is a wonderful Lutheran woman. And I remember going to lunch with them one day, my mom and her and a couple of their other friends. And I can't remember why this came up, but Jan Bolt said, said to me, you know, Aaron, faith is not a feeling. And, <laughs> and I was like, boy, that's true. 
Because it isn't. It sometimes comes off as a feeling and we maybe probably misinterpret it as a feeling, but it isn't. And we can't control it like that. And it, and if it, if we don't feel it, that doesn't mean it's not there. And it doesn't mean that we are somehow doing it wrong, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) I think I've always sort of approached the emotional side of life like that. And I think that comes from my, my Lutheran upbringing is that when we express ourselves emotionally, if it doesn't come out the way we want it to, or it doesn't feel right, or something shifts or change, or we have a a disappointment or a a failure, it doesn't mean that it's not worth it or that it's not important or, or helping somebody. You know, sometimes you feel like nobody's listening or, or you're not reaching anybody with what you're doing and you think, well, why do it? But it isn't really about that, you know, and you just don't know what kind of impact you're making. So I end up being a little more introspective about art and, and creating things. And yeah. And I think vision. I hear you. The language with which you talk about your work, I think really shows who you are, especially when you were talking about the Your Song project. You weren't talking about yourself. <laughs> you're talking about <laughs> how much joy it gives you to be able to use your music to bless other people. And I think that is a really revelatory set Mm -hmm. of statements there that for you, it's not a narcissistic project. It's Mm -hmm. a way to serve and bless your neighbors. And that's, that's something that I I definitely see some uh, Lutheran, (laughs) Lutheran thought there. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not going to say that I started out thinking like, oh, this is, I can bless people with this. I know, I know. know. (laughs) It really is. I feel very entrepreneurial and I'm definitely thinking about how can I sustain my income? Of by course. Oh, yeah. Know. But what, what probably is better describes it is I think as a performer, and especially in, a, in the jazz world where so much of your success is on you as an individual person and your personality and how much you can get people's attention. That is not my personality. I don't enjoy trying to get people's attention. I don't like competing for people's affection, you know, like mm-hmm. that is not me. And, and so I think to, to have found something where I can be creative, express human emotion, deep, profound love and thought and, and all these things and have the result not be about me is really refreshing for me. It takes so much pressure off of me and responsibility because I can I can do this for somebody else. It's their expression to their loved one. And I just get to enjoy the the process of it, you know? And I've told this to Victor before that and he's he's a pretty shy kind of reserved person as well. And he has expressed very similar thoughts about this that it feels so good to do something for somebody else and and have it not be about whether I succeed or fail, but rather we're just giving something to somebody, you know, helping them to give a gift. Beautiful. <laughs> you know, something that between what Rachel, you were saying, and then Erin, your, your reflections on that just now got me thinking about in our Lutheran way of looking at faith and how we understand it. You're right. It, it isn't based on emotion. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I know that that can be a, a frustrating thing because there's almost like a, there's almost like a rebellion against it or a backlash against it. And it's like, no, that's not, 
that feeling has no place in that. And that's not, that's not fair either because yeah, exactly. we yeah. I mean, God made us with feelings. Yes. And so music mm-hmm. is really very much uh, about the expression of yeah. emotion, um, mm-hmm. especially when you include words in it. And so I'm, it's just an interesting thing to me. I was then thinking about if though we have the understanding that faith in God isn't based on feelings in a way that sort of frees you up. Like it does. You can be, if you want, you really can be fully honest about how you're feeling about <laughs> it because you know that yes. your faith, like it's not like hinging one way or the other. If you exactly. just are full of doubts and sorrow, mm-hmm. you can express it because that is not where your faith is found. Mm-hmm. We don't usually go that way. I don't feel like. But um, if we want to, we can uh, sing angry um, songs because that is not- <laughs> I don't know. It just, I'm, I'm just sort of got me thinking about how we talk about that. And yeah. obviously how we worship is mm-hmm. one part of our life. We also talk about how our, you know, our faith isn't compartmentalized and it impacts yeah. all of us. And so mm-hmm. I think sometimes there is this tendency in, in Lutheranism to, to sort of clamp down a little bit more on that. And maybe some of that is cultural. I don't know, but I, I don't know. I like the idea of being able to hold both of those ideas in tension that, you know, faith is separate from emotion and therefore let's let, let all the emotions. Yeah. I mean, for honest. me, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, I, I guess when she said that to, to me, it really did. I had that feeling of like relief, sort of like, oh, so I don't have to be constantly keeping my faith in check. You know, like I, there are going to be times when I'm really working on something, you know, (laughs) or (laughs) struggling to understand something or just feeling kind of distant, you know, but I know that that doesn't mean in any way that, that God isn't there working and taking care of me and, you know, that I can, I can go through things and it doesn't change my relationship with God. I mean, my favorite Bible verse, um, and I, I always wanted this to be my confirmation verse, but I, I didn't get it. Um, <laughs> your pastor dad didn't give you no, confirmation wow. verse you too late or something. I don't know, but I, <laughs> my favorite Bible verse is Romans eight twenty eight. Which is, you know, that's my confirmation verse. No way. <laughs> is it? It is. <laughs> Yikes. You know, the neither life nor death nor or angels or principalities or, you know, all those things can ever separate us from God. And I think when I was young, you know, because when I was in like middle school, you know, you struggle with all these deep feelings and un- trying to understand everything and thinking that, you know, you, you, you don't fully grasp exactly what what God is expecting of you and in these kinds of things. And, and hearing that made me realize that I, you know, I can't, I'm not going to like feel my way out of this. I'm not going to like just one day do something stupid and then I'm in jeopardy, you know, like that doesn't happen with God. He's got a grip on you, you know? (laughs) And, and I just loved hearing that. I mean, that's the most comforting thing I can I can know your salvation is not dependent on whether you feel like a Christian. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the whole crux of what I've been trying to say for like 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Which, and Aaron, both of you, Aaron's, have pointed out that that acknowledgement that our salvation is based on the cross of Christ and not on our feelings yeah. frees us then to mm -hmm. feel the full range of feelings without, yes. without any, you know, concern, anxiety. Although anxiety mm -hmm. is a feeling some of us feel a lot. <laughs> yep. There's plenty to be anxious about. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's also interesting is that uh, Aaron Alter, uh, mentioning that this <laughs> this might be, oh, it was either you or Rachel, mentioning that this might be also cultural. Uh, so much of our hymnody in our church music is chock full of emotions and mm -hmm. emotional words. And yet, as like German Lutherans, if you're smiling <laughs> coming back from the communion rail, you must be having too much fun in church. <laughs> but... <laughs> But there's there's all of this emotion, you know, on, on Easter morning, we have all of this joy on, our, on Christmas. It's full of joy. And on Good Friday there, it's it's, it's weighty. And and it took me a long time to, to realize that it's OK to feel stuff when you sing hymns like you're not you're not a bad person if you're singing an Easter hymn and you feel happy. <laughs> That's OK. <laughs> I couldn't have you, Aaron, on the podcast without bringing up hymnody and asking yeah. you how you feel about hymnody and about this music of the church. Do you, do you love hymns as much as we do? In the oh, yeah. and Sarah probably also wants to know what's your favorite hymn. She's been I, on this like multi-decade journey to decide what her favorite hymn is and she's yeah. still not there. So help her out. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I could pick a, a favorite. Um, I can't either. It's fine. That's not helpful. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'll pick some for you. I, I got like two. I'll give you my top two. If that's helpful. Oh, you, you have two. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love hymns. I mean, we, we've always sung hymns at home. So, well, when I was a, from before I can remember, we, we would always say our goodnight prayer, which was, you know, now I lay me down to sleep with the dying part, you know, they didn't, they didn't, my parents didn't fix it to make it nicer. There was definitely a fear of dying overnight. <laughs> Good parents don't fix it. Just kidding. Well, <laughs> A lot of parents do, but I don't. Yeah. You could die in the night. That might happen. You know, like that. Yep. <laughs> so, I learned it that way too. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I went through this phase when I was around like seven or eight or like probably like from six to eight where every night I would say goodnight to my parents after we said these prayers. And I'd say, goodnight. I love you. Don't die in the night. Because I was afraid they were going to die because we talked Ooh. about it so often, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So I had to work through that, my little tiny emotions. But anyway, uh, we'd say our prayer and then we would sing the 13th verse of From Heaven Above to Earth I Come. Oh, <laughs> so good. Ah, uh, dearest Jesus, holy child, make thee a bed soft undefiled within my heart that it may be a quiet chamber kept for thee. And we sang it all the way, I mean, until I moved out. And then whenever I go to my siblings' houses, if I'm there at bedtime, all of my nieces and nephews, they all sing that with their parents before they go to sleep. So it's just a really sweet tradition. So that, that hymn is one of my favorites, but, and then we would have devotions every night after dinner and we take turns reading the devotions and then we'd each get to pick, you know, take turns picking which hymn we were going to sing. So I liked abide with me and I liked now the light has gone away mm -hmm. and the sun has gone down. I like those, those sad ones, anything minor, <laughs> give it to me. That's what I want. Miner's good. Advent, Lent, favorite time of year. Mm -hmm. You know, when it's darkest. That's what I like. That's, those are my favorite hymns. So, <laughs> yeah. That's not morbid. No. It's an acknowledgement <laughs> that 
that the world needs hymns that that speak yes. truth in a dark place. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did a so. whole episode about nighttime hymns. It's it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Why is singing and making music together as a family a powerful thing for kids as they're growing up? As as you were able to sing hymns as you were growing up, what is that impact on on kids, young kids and families when their families sing together? Well, I mean, you know, I don't have any children myself, so maybe you guys have a different perspective, but just as a kid myself, I think that it was just that feeling of of being a part of that unit. And I think the humility of singing hymns, there's something very humble about it because you sing, you know, you can sing the harmony, of course, but just, you know, being a part of something of, of a unit instead of it being, it's never about you. It's about praising God. And so it's, it's, you do it together. you make, it's sort of like praying together, but you know, you're expressing your gratitude or appreciation or, you know, whatever is going on in the hymn to God as a group, you know, you're declaring it. And I think that's something that as a kid really leaves an impact on you. At least for me, it did. Do all of you sing hymns at home? Yes. <laughs> I'm not judging. I'm, just, I'm actually 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 asking. <laughs> no, yeah, I do. I my kids and I we sing hymns for our homeschool chapel every day. We pick a mm-hmm. hymn of the week and we sing it every day for a week. If it's a really long one, maybe we'll sing like verses one, three, and five the first yeah. day, and two and four the next day. Yeah, but awesome. um, yeah, and it's wonderful. Even like my kids who tell me they don't like singing, they'll sing <laughs> on the hymns. Yeah, because it's it does it. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's about the song, and it's about you know being part of the the family joined together around yeah. that song, and it takes some of the pressure off. You know, yeah. if you if you have performance anxiety, <laughs> sing a hymn in a group, and there's no anxiety. Yeah, exactly. You're all in it together. Not to mention that I, I think especially Lutheran hymns are a collection of some of the most beautiful music. I mean, you are right. You can't compete. I, you know, I, I know I'm biased, but I've gone to other okay. churches. I've, I know people of other denominations and I've been to their churches. We have fantastic melodies. Now, think- the only competition we have is the Anglican church. The uh, church of England. Oh. They got some really good hymns. It's least- okay. We are oh. gradually pulling them into our hymnals, so they'll soon be ours. <laughs> In time. <laughs> like, what is it? Is it the, um, my song is love unknown. Is that? Oh, I love that Ireland? one. I can't remember the, the so good. music writer for that one. It just, what a great melody. I made a, an album of hymns in 2013. And as much as I chose them based on the content, you know, the lyrical content, I chose them equally for the, for the music, just because there's so many great ones to choose from. And yeah, they're wonderful. Now Rest Beneath Night Shadow on the album is like my favorite Aww. arrangement of that hymn oh, of all time. <laughs> yeah. I, also one of my favorite hymns. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapping this up a little bit, uh, throughout this whole time that we've had with you, Erin, something that keeps coming up is these relationships that you've had with people from church to family friends to professors who have all contributed these little nuggets of wisdom and and encouragement for you along this musical journey that you've had throughout your life. So 
I want to give you an opportunity to mm -hmm. give a little nugget of wisdom for Lutheran ladies who are creatives. Maybe we have lots of musicians out there in the Lutheran lady world. And it's been a hard year for yeah. like, everyone. But if you have wisdom or encouragement for other Lutheran lady creatives to keep going and to have have uh, some some gumption moving mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, I definitely encourage people to, I guess, like what I was saying that I, it was scary to have the thing that I do to make a living suddenly impossible to do. Mm -hmm. And that put a lot of anxiety into my life. And, <laughs> but I just, I just think that, you know, of course I prayed about it and, and needed God to basically just take it over <laughs> Tell me what to do, you know. But the fact that he he did give me an opportunity, I, this isn't unusual. God God has given me opportunities all through my life, and always in the times when I need them the most, you know, something. And it's not always. I'm not going to say it's always like a livelihood or monetary in any way. Hardly ever. But for the most part, though, when I've asked him to give me peace about the the things that I'm going through to, so I can handle them and have a clear mind about how to proceed. That's always been helpful. But then, then just to, for me to be open-minded and to be aware of anything that might come toward me and to know, know if, if that's what I should pursue, he always takes care of us. And so mm -hmm. I think if, if you have a passion for something and you're, you're a musician or, you know, creative in any way, and that's what you're really wanting to do. And you feel really driven to do that. You just be open to those opportunities that present themselves that God, you know, puts in front of us and know that he's taking care of you and keep doing it. Just don't get discouraged by the circumstances. Find, you know, the kind of the, the thing that has driven you to do it, if it's if it's feelings or, you know, expressing a particular part of yourself, just kind of hone into that. And, and even if you're used to making a living doing it and that's impossible, do it for the reasons that just make you happy, you know, or that you feel like you're really saying something to people or, you know, I think that's the wonderful thing about art is you, you know, ideally somebody will pay you to do it, but it's also extremely gratifying just to do it. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> I think <Yeah>. so. <laughs> it can be hard to feel encouraged at, during something like this. All yeah. by the grace of God. Erin, yep. it has been fantastic. This hour just flew by. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fun having you on the podcast with oh, us. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us in the Ladies' Lounge. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And where can people find your amazing music? Yes. So you can find it on most of the streaming services. You can listen to most of my albums. Uh, you can order physical copies from my website, erinbody.com. And if you would like to have a song created for you or for somebody you love, you can visit my website, yoursongforalways.com and send me a note and we'll start a project for you. That is so awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Join our group on Facebook to find all of our Lutheran community. And we want to hear from you, Lutheran creative ladies, how you've been managing over the last year. What's been keeping you going? What's been your encouragement? 
can join our group on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge, or you can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Aaron Alter. I'm Bree <laughs> Jerzewski. <laughs> and I'm Rachel. <laughs>